to ask you a question that the Bible asks. It is an incredible question. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is like him? Who? And as we look at our lives today with all of our technologies, all of our advancements, all of our privileges that we have, we realize that many of them are of tremendous benefit as well. If we're not careful, we may find ourselves not being as dependent upon our God. We may find out that I can rely upon this person, which again, in a balanced way, I'm sure would bring no harm. But when your allegiance starts going to the wisdom of a counselor only, when you're depending on the wealth from a particular source, then you find yourself diminishing in your position. When we look around the globe today in world missions, we still see the same situation where many nations that are developing, that don't have the privileges that we have, you'll hear from them revivals going on, you'll, awakenings going on, healings going on, the miraculous going on. Why? Because they have heard about the good news and they're depending upon God. But as we advance, if we're not careful, we will give God a substitute and we'll look for something else. We've got to learn, of course, how to balance. So the question again is, who is like the Lord our God? Who can stand up against him and all of his wisdom, of his power, of his might? Notice how the question is, it's not just what God can be like our God, it says who? And again, that just gives opportunity for any individual to get elevated in our sight. Maybe they're a great intellectual. Maybe they have, uh, they're very glib, they're very gifted in conversation. Today we're living in a time, those of us that uh, study it at all, and especially the younger generations, they know all about AI or artificial intelligence and the things that th that study is ushering in. Or the study of quantum studies, quantum physics. And again, the headline of quantum studies is we're reinventing reality. Well, again, we can see the advancements that may benefit us, but we can also see the threat of reinventing what we call our reality. Maybe we're depending upon, again, somebody else's wealth, but the question is to us, who is like your God, your Lord? Who can stand with him? Who can be equal to the Lord our God. If you'll turn with me as you stand, as we read God's word together from Psalms 113. Those of you that have read these Psalms from Psalms 113 to Psalms 118 knows that this is known as the Hallel. It's known as the praise. These Psalms, as they were written, anointed, became so important to the Jewish nation that they said so these we're keeping for a select time of the year, which isn't this time of year. They share at Passover. This particular psalm in Psalms 114, I'm convinced, would have been the last psalms that Jesus would have sung himself as he was entering into his passion at Passover week, becoming the Lamb of God slain. 
But they would sing the Psalms, and this particular psalm would be sung. Psalms 113, follow with me, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Will you do that right now? Will you praise him one more time? Who is like the Lord our God? Praise him. Is he worthy to be praised? Praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. In this particular psalm, it just speaks to us of two major things that he's always offering. And the first is a word that we know very well. It's the word grace. He offers grace. How many has received grace even this day? We've sung about his grace that is amazing. Again, this is something available to us every single day. That undeserved favor that he offers to us. How many has received favor from the Lord when you didn't even see it coming? You didn't, you didn't even ask about it. It just was there and it took your breath and you realized in that moment, oh my, this is a God moment, a divine moment. I wasn't even asking but his favor showed up. And other times, you've been begging for his presence and asking him to answer your particular plea or cry. And you're like, I'm looking at my watch. I'm looking at the calendar. I don't know. I think we're running out of time. I think it's already too late. But my need hasn't been met. How many knows? Then he just showed up anyhow. Didn't worry about a clock. Didn't worry about a calendar. And you realize in that moment again, this is God. This is what I've asked for. And he has supplied my need. I didn't deserve it. Do you struggle like I do sometimes? We don't want to ask God for something because we feel so unworthy. But we go to him anyhow. I mean, we know we haven't been a sterling example of a child of God. And we realize, but my source is God. And I wrestle. Has anybody ever struggled even coming to church because you haven't had a great week? And you just feel like a worm. Sometimes we actually stay home because we feel so low. We know that we lost our temper. We know that we acted out. We know we got involved in conversation that was not honoring to another person. And then all of a sudden, if the calendar shows up and it's Sunday. Uh, I don't feel like going to church. They're going to make me sing. I don't feel like singing. That preacher's going to get up and preach about the grace of God. I don't feel like I'm worthy of receiving that grace. But isn't it amazing just being in the company of his people 
and that worship begins, that something in you again starts calling on you. I'm going to push through my emotions and just trust him again. That undeserved favor, that blessing that he gives to us. How many knows that there's been times that you've asked for him for a blessing and he just gives you more than you ask for? That he's El Shaddai, he is more than enough. Those times of favor and of blessing. How many has ever needed mercy? And that mercy was there. All these things that he offers. You know, the Bible even tells us, the Hebrew writer tells us that grace strengthens the heart more than food that's designed to strengthen the heart. Wow. This thing called grace is amazing. That it literally affects everything about us. It affects the way we think. It even affects our physical strength. This thing called grace. And God has an unlimited supply and he's so willing to give it to us. He doesn't arbitrarily, well, I don't know. I'm looking at Jim here. He's been a bad boy this week. I think I'll just withhold. His grace is greater than Jim. And he loves Jim. I can use Jim as an example because you all know what I'm preaching is truth right now. He's not always a good boy. <laughs> don't sit in the front seats of a church, people. You're always a target. And don't be the family of the minister. You'd never get a break. My wife said amen in the back row. What catches the eye of God above everything else about us? Is it our need? He sees it. Is it our giftedness? He knows. What God is looking for, what always catches his eye is humility. God always opposes the proud. This is why we've been amazed at his grace. Because in it's in moments like that, that we leave pride at the door and we come crawling. And it isn't that God wants us to grovel. It's just that he can't deal with our pride. And when our pride is broken, he'll take us as a broken vessel and say, Come to me, all ye labor heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'll supply your need. I can supply all of your need. He is a God that looks for the humility in us. That's again where the worship comes in. To humble ourselves in the presence of God. To recognize our need of God. That's another thing we struggle with. Especially the men. We don't like to admit we're needy, do we, men? Amen. Until you get to that place of realizing it's okay to admit my frailties, my limitations. Because I've got a God that's not limited. Who's able to give me strength for the day. It's Isaiah who recorded Something so important that Jesus in his inaugural ministry would quote himself in the temple. Isaiah 61, he said, I am anointed to preach the good news to the poor. Poor of spirit, of course. And I'll bind up the brokenhearted. Yes, that's grace, folks. You ever had your heart broken? And yet that ministering touch of him that is able to bring healing to bind it up again, to strengthen it. I've gone through this shoulder surgery this past year. and Strange as it may be, 
I thought about this particular verse. It wasn't my heart. It was my shoulder. And yet, the skill of the surgeon, the technologies that was able to go into a complete tear and to go in and put the anchors and do this work and said, in time, the body will build itself around those anchors that are there. That's exactly what he does with the hearts. He's able to bind up the broken hearted. He puts those anchors there again that will trust him again. Because when our heart has really been broken in life of things that we wanted and we failed at it or somebody took from us, God's able to say, I'll take the broken heart. I'll do surgery on it. I'll bind it together again. He said, I'm anointed to proclaim liberty to those who are captive. Have you ever been held captive to something? Something got a hold of you? It's captivated your thoughts, that fear that wanted to consume you? He said, there's liberty in this anointing. And even those that are in prison, he said, I'll open up those prison doors again. That grace of God to proclaim this is the year of the Lord. How many's learned as we come in the presence of the Lord that it's the place of great exchange? He said, I'll give you a headdress, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. You come in and we're just, we're just so used to religious traditions. that said, I, I'm, I'm broken. I'll just take the ashes and smear it across my head and, and mark my life. I'm, I'm broken. He said, I'll, I'll wash that away and give you something greater than that. I'll put that beautiful headdress. It's that exchange that he offers. Who is like the Lord our God? Who can do what he can do? He said, uh, for your mourning, he said, I'll give you the oil of gladness. How long has it been since you've just felt that presence of just that gladness that he offers that literally takes you into laughter of just the joy of the Lord that you can't even find words to express. And oh, for the faint of spirit, I don't know if I can go another step. I don't know if I can face another court. I don't know if I can go through one more heartache. I don't know if I can do with one more disappointment. If my child breaks my heart one more time, I don't know. If my spouse disrespects me one more time, I, I don't know if I can do it. If I get behind on the bills any more than I am right now, I just, I don't know. And he promises and all those things, those are faint of spirit. He said, you need to go to your wardrobe. You'll notice I've put something in there for you this morning. And it's called the garment of praise. And you're able to put it on. It's that place of exchange where we come in, we're still emotionally charged with the circumstances, but we realize he's a God of his promises, and he will supply these things, and he expects us to put on that garment of praise. Oh, yeah, at times it doesn't seem like it fits right. Our attitude isn't right with it. Our emotions haven't caught up with it yet, but it's still a garment of praise, and I'm going to put it on, and I'm going to praise him. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I'm going to rejoice in it regardless of my circumstances. I'm going to have to say emotions. You're just going to have 
have to catch up with my spirit. Because my spirit, man, has got a hold of the truth of God's word, and I'm going to praise him anyhow. I'm going to praise him no matter what happens this day. He's worthy to be praised. Who is like the Lord our God? There is nobody, no thing that can supply my needs according to his riches that are in glory. But I can depend upon him. <laughs> oh, it's been said a thousand times at least when we praise him, when we lift him up, we get lifted up. How many can be a witness of that? How many's come to the house of God to worship and you don't feel like being there, but the first song gets sung and you're like, I like that singer. I'll, I'll just kind of go along with him. After a while, you forget who's singing. You just get caught up in the words. And before long, your hands are lifted up and the praise leaves your lips and you're just thanking the Lord. And when you're getting a car, your spouse says you still feel down. About what? Well, you were down in the mouth when you came into church. I forgot about all that. It's that place of exchange, that garment of praise. That grace. And oh, what about that compassion that he offers? That's the second thing again. The grace and also the compassion. The compassion that raises the poor from the dust. How many has been there? In other words, God's not willing for you to stay there. It may be a season. It may be a long season. But he's a God of compassion. You may deserve to be in that place. But his compassion is greater than your need. Wow. He lifts the poor from the dirt. And he lifts the needy from the ash pit. The ashes of what once was there, and now you have nothing left but remnants and memories. The ashes of something you once enjoyed, it's gone. He said, I'm not going to leave you there either. His compassion, his compassion lifts the needy. And he makes us to be seated with princes. <laughs> you see, the New Testament says he makes us to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Man, when you're sitting up there in that section of the bleachers, wow, life takes on a different perspective, doesn't it? Seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, sometimes our mind has to get there. <coughs> to get to that place. To be seated with Him. Seated with His promises. How many has ever taken God at His word? Does His word not say, test me? Try me. Sit down and read my word again and just say, Lord, you promised these things. I don't see them in my life right now. I don't want to act all entitled, but I am a child of the king. I want to remind you of your promises and how faithful you are. Did Moses not do that when dealing with the problems of the people? And God said, okay, I'm done. I'm just going to extinguish them. I'll raise up another people. Moses said, uh, no. No, your reputation's at stake. I don't want to follow that God. He lost a whole group of people out there in the wilderness. Don't you want to be known as the God that can even rescue a people that's in a howling wilderness out there? Don't you want the world to know how great you are? The question is, who is like the Lord our God? 
Who can keep a people in a desert place and sustain them even when they have failed and fallen short? But his mercy is great. His compassion is everlasting. What a God. What a God. What a God. Lord, I just want to take time out. I want to take the laptop, shut it down. I want to take my iPhone and put it over here. I'm just going to get secluded with your word. I want it to speak to me. I want it to minister to me. I want it to remind me of who you are and what you can do. I want to be reminded of who I am in you. I want to be reminded that I am born again, born of spirit. I want to be reminded that your shed blood was shed for me. I want to be reminded that my sins have been forgiven and cast away from me as far as the east is from the West. I want to be reminded that I got a new name written down in glory and it's mine. I want to be reminded that you're an everlasting God that's faithful. Oh, yes, Lord, I need to be reminded of your greatness. Who is like the Lord our God that makes us to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're even reminded as he raises the, the, the poor from the dirt the needy from the ashes makes us to be seated in heavenly places. This ought to speak to all of us. We may not all be female, and we, the females not, might be barren, but we, this speaks to us. That he'll take one who's discounted. One that's been said, you'll never be good enough. One that has been told, you're of no worth to anybody. You're barren. You have nothing to offer. You must be cursed, especially when this was written. A barren woman was a cursed woman. There's something wrong with her. She's lesser than. You see, it is that place of compassion. It is that place of great exchange. For even the barren woman, he said, I'm going to give you a home. Don't, re don't forget who I am in your life. You may be on the streets right now. You may be homeless right now. But I've already got a residence set up for you. I know the address. I've got a home for you. And when I put you in that home, I'm going to remind you that you'll be called a mother of children. Yeah, don't camp out here where you are. Just know where I'm taking you. Who is like the Lord our God? Who else can do that? There's no God like our God. You ever get in a brag fest with somebody? You remember being in school and they got talking about their daddy? Oh, yeah? Well, my daddy's bigger than your daddy. <laughs> they get talking about their mother. Yeah, but your mama isn't as pretty as my mama. I'm here to tell you there ain't nobody like my God. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is like him? There's nothing that can stand in his presence and be called equal. Wow. Who is like the Lord our God? We're reminded of Jesus' compassion in Luke 7 and 13 when he walks into a city. He's already healed the centurion's son. Wow, that's a big name. But he comes to the next city, a little old wide spot on the road called Nain. Who wants to be from Nain? And when he comes there, he witnesses a funeral. And he sees the small group of people following this woman. And he gets word this was her only child. She's already lost husband and now lost a child. She's of no worth. She's a widow. There's nothing left for her. 
All she's going to do is take up oxygen. She's not worth it. Jesus said, no, I got compassion for her. Hold up, funeral procession. Son, it's time to wake up from your sleep. You see, it's that place of exchange when his compassion comes in to raise that woman's son. He knew that she was nothing without this son. That son was her only hope. Don't forget where our hope comes from. Oh, he'll use different people, different sources, but he is the ultimate source. Who is like the Lord our God? You see, there's got to be somebody here today, maybe streaming today, that says, I I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. I don't feel like I have hope. I feel like, at best, I'm only coping. Well, get your hope back in him. And understand, again, that he's filled with compassion, filled with grace. Who is like the Lord our God? And then he speaks to every one of us. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, his name is to be praised. From the rising of the sun. You see, the Jews' mind always said that the dark hours were evil hours. It was the light. It was the day that would speak to them. And this is a God of the day. How many knows there's coming a time where there'll be no need of the sun because we're going to be in his presence he is a God of light. Where he is, there's always light. And to understand again, he speaks to us from the rising of the sun. When that hope gets a hold, it's, it's been a long night. Sorrow has come for the night, but joy has come this morning. And I'm going to camp out here from the rising of the sun. I'm going to praise his name. I might have to brush my teeth first, but I'm going to start praising his name. I may have to wipe the sleep from my eyes, but I'm going to get into this thing, this tradition, this, this routine of realizing how important it is from the rising of the sun, or at least when I recognize that the sun is up. How many knows that there's more than two? sevens, I mean, excuse me, more than one seven in a day. In other words, some don't get up before seven. Whenever you recognize it's day, you start praising him. No matter what the challenge of the day is, you praise him. No matter what the circumstances throughout the day, you praise him. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. That same expression is also found in the Psalms. And you'll find it in Psalms 50 and 1. From the rising, oh my God, I feel chills. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, God speaks to the earth and summons it. Wow. He's a sovereign God. He's an on-time God. He's a faithful God. And his witness is with us all day long. He speaks to the earth. And the earth responds in kind, for they know, it knows who the master is. From the rising of the sun, he's at work in your behalf. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, he is speaking all day long. Somebody needs to give the Lord praise. Well, I don't know if my prayers make it past the ceiling. No, you've got a God that's speaking from the heavenlies. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, his name is to be praised. I love this expression that the psalmist captured when it gives us God's perspective. And it says, God looks down, far down upon the heavens. (laughs) Not just the earth. You and I look up into the heavens 
And we say, my, I have no idea. My imagination tries to capture all that's there. But God is so much higher that he's looking down upon the heavens. From that third heaven, his abode, God is looking down upon all that he has created. The heavens and the earth. Wow. There is no God like our God. Who is like the Lord our God? Who's able to see everything from his perspective. Everything in every galaxy. Every twinkle, twinkle little star in the most remote galaxy that we have any knowledge of and beyond. God knows that it's twinkling. And he looks upon the earth and you think, well, if he's that far away, maybe he can't see little old me way down here. That's not who he is. He's a God of grace. He's a God of compassion. And he's always looking. And I love this expression as well. That God is seated upon his throne. In other words, he's not standing. He's not running to and fro. The work has been completed. Jesus proclaimed it from the cross with that breath. It is The victory has already been won. You and I, from our perspective, can't see that. But we must depend upon his grace and his compassion. Jesus seated in heavenly places next to the Father is the wording that we have. We realize the work is complete. When we ask God for healing, it isn't that, oh, we better go back to our records and see if there's anything else available. No, you see the work's already complete. The victory's already been won. When we make petition unto God, it isn't that, well, we got an overload right now. We've had a power shortage up here. We'll get to you as soon as we can. It's real simple. From his perspective, the price has already been paid. The Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world and he completed it at Golgotha's cross. They put his body in a borrowed tomb, but three days later he came forth full of life. Stand with me, will you?